0: 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll be starting in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. God, we pray first of all just a uh, a thanks for your word that you have chosen to to spoke to to spoke that you've chosen to speak to us through your word and uh, God, as we sit here before it, it's a it's a daunting task to try to understand the hidden mysteries of the gospel and the hidden mysteries of Christ. So would you, uh, would you unveil our eyes, just like we just sang? Would you make the text make sense to our heart and our minds this morning to help us look more like Jesus as we walk out the doors? Everything that, that we read and hear that we, uh, that we are not, God, would you make us into that? And in all of it, God, we give you the praise and the glory and the honor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So just to recap where we are so far, uh, starting in verse one, it talks about uh, the elect exiles, which were just the believers who were obtaining the outcome of their faith, the salvation of their souls, uh, and they're being sanctified, if you will, through their suffering. Because the story is that they're in some real suffering. The emperor of Rome at the time, he's like, he started a fire, essentially, um, by one of his actions, by one of his directions, and it burned this huge chunk of Rome, and he didn't want to take responsibility for it, so he said, you know what, I'm just going to blame all the Christians. So, the Christians, as they go around to town, as they go around to, is that better? I keep popping. Okay. Let me just edit that out of the audio, I think. Start where I was. Burning Rome. Uh, so the Christians, they're, they're, when they go around to different parts of Rome, uh, they're being persecuted. Like they can't go to the store and buy some stuff. They're, the people that are the Roman emperor, uh, the Roman officials, they're like, no, you can't do that. They're just being persecuted simply for what they believe. And they did nothing wrong. So the Christians, they're like, man, they, I want to leave. I want to get out of here. I want to run. But Peter, he writes this letter to the church, to the Christians who are being persecuted. And he says, no, stand firm. Like, you are suffering. The suffering that you're in is God's work to make you look more like Jesus. The fiery trial is sanctifying you. Stand firm, knowing that you have the Spirit in you. If you have been reborn, you have a living hope now. Stand firm in joy while being grieved. How? And then this is what we talked through two weeks ago. Love Jesus, trust in Jesus, and rejoice with joy in the work that Jesus accomplished on your behalf. And then today, in these verses, God, through Peter, is, is encouraging us to look at salvation as greater than anything else in the world. When Peter writes these words, he's focusing our attention to the thing that should matter more to us than anything else in the world. If salvation is what God says it is, then it, you and I can face anything in this fallen world that comes to us. If salvation is what God says it is, We're to value salvation, we're to treasure this grace, we're to love the good news of the gospel so much that everything else stays in its proper place. When trials come, it's like, yeah, that's all right, I've got a firm foundation, I can stand firm. When good things come, it doesn't distract away from the better thing. From verses 10 through 12, we're gonna see five truths about our salvation that are gonna help us cherish our salvation properly. And the first is that prophets searched for it. Men and women announce it. The Holy Spirit brings it. Angels long to see it. And Jesus suffered for it. Prophets searched for it. Men and women announce it. The Holy Spirit brings it. Angels long to see it. And Jesus suffered for it. My hope and prayer is that when we see these five truths together, that we would cherish our salvation that is found in Jesus more than anything else in the world, over suffering, over happiness, over food, over sadness, over everything. My hope is that our salvation in Jesus would shine so bright by God's word that any temptation to sin is dull in comparison. My hope is that we would come back to this passage to remember. My hope is that if you have never seen this salvation before, that God would show you by his word the worth that it could have to you. So let's take a look at the first one, prophets search for it. The first thing that Peter says to highlight the value of our salvation begins in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, so here really quick is just where we see this is what we're gonna be talking about, this salvation. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. Inquiring what person or time or the footnote, if you look down at, if you have the ESV, um, says, or circumstance. What person or time or circumstance the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. What is a prophet? A prophet, he was just an Old Testament person. Uh, It didn't have to be a man, so I didn't mean to say he. He or she uh, who was inspired to proclaim or reveal God's will or purpose through an utterance of divinely inspired revelation. So a prophet was one who would foretell future events, but then he would also, he would just exhort and reprove and then even threaten some individuals or nations as the ambassador of God and the interpreter of his will to men. So think about Jonah. He was a prophet. He had a purpose from God to go and tell the Ninevites this message from God, that they needed to turn from their sins or that God was just gonna, Destroy the whole city. He runs away because he doesn't want to do it. He's like, No, they're a wicked nation. So he runs away. He gets followed by a fish, if you've heard the story. Um, But he finally does get to go to Nineveh. And here's what he says Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. That's his whole sermon. He didn't have a story. He didn't have three points to go follow. Uh, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And people turn. Like, that was the craziest thing. I don't know how they got that out of what he said. Uh, But it was just so encouraging for me to like realize that like, all right, on my bad sermons, I bet God still does His work. Um, Seven words, all it took Him. But prophets, they were men and women who spoke for God. They would come to people and say, "This is what God is saying. This is what God has said." Another prophet, his name was Isaiah. He wrote what God said for him to say. And uh, our verse references in verse ten actually take us to Isaiah 52 and 53 that say, behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. So this right here is the, the foretelling of what, um, what Jesus is going to be, his servant. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows; yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions; he was crushed for our iniquities; upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. So Isaiah is just foretelling what's what's going to eventually happen to Jesus, what's going to follow his suffering. So just real quick, put yourself in the prophets of the Old Testament shoes. If you're thinking about this, like you know from what the other prophets have told and, and what, you, what God is telling you, you know that there is going to be a Messiah that's going to come. But now, the word is, he's going to have to suffer. Why does Christ have to suffer? I mean, the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the, uh, the one, Abraham's lineage, like it's, we're going to follow that and we're going to find this Savior He's going to suffer? Why is he going to suffer and die? How can he die? Like, if, if he's going to be God's uh, offspring, like, isn't he going to be holy? How is he going to die? Like, do you see why the prophets had to search and inquire carefully? It's like, if that doesn't make sense. I want to figure out why. But not only that, they want to know who gets the subsequent glories and what those glories are because the, there's a sufferings of Christ and then there's a glories and uh, this is what it says in Jeremiah, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. So God doesn't bring his word to us by stone tablets any longer, but he gives us his word on our hearts, in our minds, And I will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. There is a personal relationship with the Father for all people. Not just the priestly hierarchy who could enter the holy of holies and who he had a relationship with God and then he kind of told everybody else about it. God now dwells in us. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Forgiveness is the basis for all of the other new covenant promises because until our sins are forgiven, we do not know the Lord and we are not his people. We cannot draw near to him and we will not be able to understand his word that's in our minds and in our hearts until our sins are forgiven. But in this new covenant, it is. Our sins are forgiven. So just why the Hebrews, why the book of Hebrews says it is like the New Testament is way better The new covenant is way better than the old covenant. The new covenant is better, and the old covenant people, they spent their lives searching and inquiring because they're like, wait, the Messiah, he's going to have to suffer, but then after he suffers, the subsequent glories that come after that are going to be amazing. What is this? So their minds are blowing. They're trying to figure it out. But this time that they're trying to figure out, you and I are alive in it. The privilege of New Testament believers is that we each can go into God's presence and sit down before Him and have access to Him in His Word. We can pray to God the Father. Do you care for the grace you have? Do you treasure it? When you're tempted to sin, do you do everything you can to remember this grace? Second thing uh, is that men and women announce it. The next thing Peter says to highlight the value of our salvation is found in verse twelve, where he says "The things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. Uh, so the thing here or the things here in this verse refer to the the salvation, the grace the uh, the good news of the gospel and if you follow it 's the, the salvation, the grace, and the subsequent glories. Because of the sufferings of Christ, those are all together. Um, it'll make sense here in a minute, I hope. But this text specifically references the work of the apostles to announce or to preach the good news of the gospel. Well, what would happen is they would walk into villages and towns and stand in the square like a, uh, like a herald. And they would proclaim the free gift of grace by faith in Christ and those subsequent glories. The right relationship with God the Father because of, work, because of the work of Christ the Son. And why is this amazing? Like, I I think that we can take this for granted. Why is this amazing? Because it's hard. Because it can be awkward when you try to share your faith. Because maybe they lost a friend or two, or maybe they lost their job or a relationship. No, this is amazing because they were killed for it. Paul was beheaded, Andrew was crucified, Thomas was killed by spears. Matthew was stabbed to death. James was clubbed and then stoned. Matthias was burned alive. And our boy Peter, who wrote these words, he was crucified upside down. These men sacrificed their lives to proclaim the good news of the gospel, to go and announce the grace of God in Christ to the people who would listen and to the people who were going to kill them. do you have this kind of bravery? Do you live your life in such a way that helps you to have these kind of conversations with people? Do you share boldly? Because I think if we saw the good news of the gospel for what it was, it would have to overflow. I don't think these men wanted to die, but they said, this is far better. This is News is far better. I'm going to sit right here with this, even if I die. And they did. Point three, the Holy Spirit brings it. The next thing that Peter says to highlight the value of our salvation is also in verse 12 when he says, the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The Holy Spirit himself sent from heaven, has brought us the news of our salvation through the gospel. And this is mind-blowing if we believe it, because God, when he looked down on the helpless estate of sinners, you and I, he didn't send a plan or a a strategy or a scheme or a, uh, a, like, hey, if you just do these things, then it'll make yourself better. You know, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Does anybody get that? I don't get that. But pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Get with it. God doesn't say any of that. God says, I'm coming to you. The good news that you need, that you need to hear will come to you by my Holy Spirit and the same Holy Spirit will help you to believe it over and over and over again because it'll be inside of you. How gracious a father. He says, you can't make it. There's no way. I'm coming to you to bring you home. If we're believers in this room we have been indwelt with the Holy Spirit and now we have every bravery every piece of bravery every piece of courage that we need we have all the strength that we need if we are going to proclaim the gospel to others even to ourselves when sin is on our mind we now have the power to fight by the Holy Spirit not our own When cowardliness is all we have, we have the courage to speak by the Spirit dwelling inside of us. Do you view the Holy Spirit this way? Do you turn to the Spirit for literally all of your strength? Point four, angels long to see it. The next thing Peter says to highlight the value of our salvation is found at the end of verse 12. Things which is the promise of new life in Jesus Christ, the the free gift of grace that is for New Covenant, New Testament believers, things into which angels long to look. Now just think about this. Angels are outsiders to the drama of sin and redemption. They have never sinned. They don't know what that is like. They are perfect, spotless beings. And even they love to watch the great work of God's salvation unfold. Sinless beings look at the grace of God to these sinful human beings and they're stunned. If angels get this excited about our salvation, how much more should we? If angels love to look uh, at the work of God in saving sinners like us, how much more should we, who are the very beneficiaries of that grace, love to look into it and be thankful for it and, and make sure that others have it? but we take it for granted. Beings who are made perfect long to see what you and I are smack dab in the middle of. Can you imagine the audacity it must must be for these angels to look and see some of us in sin? Put yourself in their shoes. It's right there. The grace of God in Christ is right there. Don't go to sin. What you're searching for in your sin is not going to give you exactly what it's promising. Go to grace. Charles Spurgeon, he uh, pastored a struggling megachurch. That's a joke. He had this to say about this verse. Uh, Does anyone suppose that he knows all about the gospel and does not need further hours of study and thought and prayer. Poor miserable fool. Angels who are vastly superior to us in intelligence desire to learn and know more. This is a grand thing. As the angels are such deep students of the things of God, let us try to be the same. Do you study the gospel like this? Do you value it like this? you desire to know more about this grace like the angels do? Point five, the last point. Jesus suffered for it. Each of these, the first four truths are essential in helping us to cherish our salvation, but it all begins and ends with the work of Jesus. In fact, in verse 10, the word salvation is a literal reference to the word Messiah. And the word grace is found elsewhere, in, also in verse 10, It's found elsewhere describing the person of Jesus in Daniel 8. The things in verse 12 are promises that are found only in Jesus. The good news of the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel to me is so mysterious. God apparently loved you and I so much that not even death could stand in his way. He took the penalty of our sin onto himself so that he could rescue us. When we look at the cross, our mind should be blown away completely. That shouldn't make sense to us. In fact, the only reason, the only way that the gospel actually makes sense is if it first doesn't make sense. Because we know that's exactly what we deserve. The world is under a curse because of sin. The whole race, all of us, every one of us have rebelled against God. Yet we see the tenderness to God, or of God to us in the brutality of wrath of of Jesus on the cross. Christ suffered that you and I would not have to. So when he points to this place, when he says Christ, the the sufferings of Christ, we should see the cross. Faith grows in one place at the cross. Like Paul and John and every other Bible writer in the Bible Peter leaves us just looking at the cross. There's no other way to look. He tells us to stare deeply. There are mysteries there that not even the angels understand yet. Don't take your eyes off it. Do you base your understanding of God's love on the cross? Do you base your understanding of God's love in everything that He did for you on the cross? The gospel, this eternally fascinating message craved by the angels, can change a heart, can change a community, and it can change the world when it is recovered and applied. And we do that all by beholding the cross. The original readers going through this persecution from Rome, they needed to read this. They needed to read this to be encouraged to stand firm. Everything in them wants to run. It'd be much easier to run. But they're gonna be deeply moved and encouraged by the grace of the gospel, so much so that they may enjoy it, that it keeps them from sin and it gives them a heart for other people by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, yeah, running's the only option. You and I should be beyond encouraged by this amazing grace that these prophets searched for for their whole lives and inquired and the word inquired is actually investigation like if you've seen CSI Miami or Dallas or New York there's so many but if you've seen any of them you know like the in depth nature of an investigation they spent their whole lives searching for this the prophets searched for it Jesus suffered, to, suffered for it for that to bring that to us Others announced it to us, no matter the end result, even death. The Holy Spirit, God himself, brought it to us. And perfect angels long to stoop down from perfect heaven to just see it. What a grace. My hope is that we see this grace and everything else is pale, pale in comparison. So in light of this grace, we're going to take communion together. And if you have this grace, if you have this salvation, if you have this Jesus, then you're welcome to the tables to partake. And we're going to do it as a family. But if you're in unbelief or if you're in unrepentant sin, then I ask that you remain in your seat. I ask that you do not partake with us. God's word says that you would be eating and drinking in an unworthy manner, and I don't want that for you. If you're in unrepentant sin, ask God to restore you to the joy of this salvation, that you may return and keep pressing on in that joy in Christ. If you're not yet a believer, you just saw the gospel in God's word. You just saw it. The good news that Christ came into the world to save sinners with a tremendous, with salvation of tremendous value, far more valuable than anything else you own or know or have seen. And I don't think that it's just me calling attention to the worth of this. I think just like these who announced it to those people, I'm announcing it to you only by the Holy Spirit. My prayer is that you would not resist this call on your life. That you would open yourself to belief and to experience an ever-growing gratitude for a great salvation. In this time, if you are in unrepentant sin or if you are in unbelief, I ask that you would just talk with the Father. For all of us, uh, here is our prayer during this time. Father, we confess that we need this body and this blood to cover our sin of forsaking your grace. Would you, by the grace that the prophets search for, give us power to enjoy this grace and forsake our sin? In Jesus' name. The uh, the words of the song that we're about to sing. Say, who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken; I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own beautiful savior I'm yours forever Jesus Christ my living hope and the truth of the gospel is that we have a God that we, were, we will serve for eternity and so the mysteries of the gospel will always have a freshness and a newness about them and when we sing the chorus of this song we sing the word hallelujah And the word literally means God be praised. And with such truth as what we just read, how astoundingly true this really is. God be praised. As we sing, I just ask that you would keep the truth of the gospel in mind. The truth that we have a right relationship with God the Father based on the work of Christ on our behalf we are now indwelt with the Holy Spirit who continues to change us and bring us home. And it all happened because of the cross. Because on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood the better covenant do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me let's pray God who can imagine this is this grace the salvation that is such a free gift to us in this room is something that people of the Old Testament searched their whole lives, investigating, trying to find it. And and the the angels want to just look and and stoop down from perfect heaven just to see the, the greatness of that history unfold. And that the Holy Spirit ushered it in himself. God, you brought it to us. And it all happened it was, it's all possible because of the sufferings of Christ his life his death his burial and resurrection and God we give you all of the praise in more ways than, than we know how God we say hallelujah you to you be all the glory Would you help our hearts to remember the value of our salvation? That we may not turn anywhere else for anything else, but only to you. God, let 1 Peter verse, chapter 1, verse 10 through 12 always remain somewhere in our brains and in our hearts that we may remember this. go the rest of our week. Would you help us? It's in Jesus' beautiful name that we pray.